Welcome to LISI Carrier Calls. I'm Rebecca with our Intel team. In these episodes, we've been talking about compliance. And as always, our aim is to keep it short while tackling some really complex topics and bringing you the key takeaways. This week, our regional sales manager down in LA County, Charlotte McPherson, talks with Michael Goldfarb of Guardian HR about the changing rules around employee classifications as a result of California AB5. Michael Goldfarb has been a practicing attorney specializing in employment law for over 27 years. He's the president of Guardian HR, a firm that advises companies nationwide on their day-to-day employment law issues. A sought-after lecturer, Michael has been quoted in many publications, including the Wall Street Journal. We're excited to talk to him today about the compliance landscape. Let's listen in. We're going to be tackling AB5, a.k.a. the 1099 law. And this week, we're excited to chat with uh, Guardian HR and Michael Goldfarb. Michael, thank you for joining the call. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. AB5 is something that is generating so much confusion and interest um, and is obviously specific to California for anyone that's listening to the state. Why don't we talk about what AB5 is and why it is so important to understand? Sure, sure. It, it would be my pleasure. And I totally agree. I think this is landmark as a as a lawyer who's been practicing in this area for 28 years. I can tell you that as far as California legislation, this is earth shaking stuff. And employers beware because it is a spider web of concepts and exceptions that will drive even the most experienced lawyer uh, into stirs of craziness trying to understand it. But what AB5 is at its core, okay, for some of you, you might be aware of the Dynamex case that was decided upon a couple of years ago in California. Essentially, what the courts decided is that we are going to reduce the concept of whether someone is an employee or an independent contractor down to a very simplistic three-part test known as the ABC test. Whereas we used to be uh, using something called Borello, which, which had at least 11 factors and much more specificity. Now we're down to three basic prongs. Okay. So why don't we talk about the ABC test uh, for AB5, which of course is that 1099 law that changed the, the classification of when an employee, or rather when a, uh, a worker can be classified as a true 1099 versus when they need to be moved over to a W-2 employee who would also potentially be benefit eligible. Right. So let's start with the premise that the law, as it states, defaults to the status of an employee. So the law begins by saying a person providing labor or services for remuneration, and here's the important part, shall be considered an employee rather than an independent contractor unless the hiring entity can show, can basically satisfy all three of these prongs. So these are the three ABC prongs that an employer must meet if it wants to have an individual not classified as an employee, but rather as an independent contractor. 
So the A part of the prong states that the worker is free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the performance of the work, both under the contract for performance of the work and in fact. So that's saying that you've got to be able to demonstrate that this individual, both under written contract and in reality, in the actual facts of reality, okay, is controlling the direction of their of their work. The B prong states that the worker performs work that is, here's the crucial part, outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. Okay, that's prong B that has to be satisfied. And lastly, there's prong C of the test that says that the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as the work performed. So in other words, that they they have their own company and this is the work they do and they're actually performing that work. So those are the that's the test now to determine if someone if you meet those three elements according to a court of law, then the person could be classified as a 1099. Otherwise, they're an employee. Very very broad test that really leaves a lot to the imagination. Okay, so as an example, let's say you've got a account manager, okay? You tell the account manager when to come and perform their work. You're assigning them specific tasks. You're paying them through their payroll department, not through accounts receivable, as an example. And you're telling them when they can and cannot leave for break. So that would fall under a W-2 in most circumstances, right? Correct. That would be a very clear-cut case where someone would have to be classified as an employee, not an independent contractor. All right. So, Michael, why don't you give us an example of someone who would fall under a, a 1099 bucket moving forward and someone who would need to transition into a W-2 bucket? Okay. So, Let's take the first part where we're looking at somebody who would, let's say, be classified as a 1099 employee. And so if we took us take a retail store, okay, and let's just say it's an apparel shop. They sell clothing. And this store asked a plumber or an electrician to come to the store and do work on plumbing or electricity, okay, you know, within the vein of whatever they do as, an, uh, as a, their profession. It's an apparel store. So in that situation, you've got a clear basis to 1099 these people. They're not selling clothes. They're not doing anything related to the usual course of business, which is prong B, okay, and they're clearly involved in their own business that's uh, prong C, and of course, they control what they do. So that's a very clear-cut example of a 1099. Now, let's sort of stay with this retail focus. Let's take a company that hires people. They're, this company designs window fronts for retail stores. So they're the ones that go in, they dress up the mannequins, they make all the design look, whatever, for retail storefront windows. And they have a group of individuals that they hire on, 1090, on a 1099 basis, okay, to go around looking at competitors' windows and making statistical and observational, putting that data down and then compiling the data and reporting back to 
the, the design company to give them information on competitors. Again, that group of individuals have been 1099. They're independent contractors. I would venture to tell you or I would represent that in that scenario, that group of people would have to be reclassified as employees under AB5 because even though the, the core business is designing window fronts, right? And, you know, dressing up mannequins. The fact that these people on a, probably on a routine or regular basis are analyzing competitors in the same business and providing that information to allow the company to up its game or restructure or, you know, in other words, deal with competition in its own business, they would have to be reclassified as employees. They are not doing something completely independent. It's done on a on too frequent a basis to be classified as an employee. So that's an example of where the waters get a bit muddied. Thank you for sharing that. So we know that AB5 has been contested in the courts and it's obviously going to continue to see its day, right? Do you think that we're going to be stuck with it the way that it stands today? Or do you think that this is going to evolve and we can, where do you think that we're going to be, um, you know, and, a year or 18 months with AB5 because as you stated too, there's so much gray area and uh, you know, employers are going to be left scratching their heads trying to navigate this. And oftentimes, you know, you want to make sure that they're ahead of it rather than dealing with it when they're taking to work. Right. Excellent point. And I, and I think, I think it's here to stay. I think we've seen that with uh, the, the recent appeals being denied and I think we're going to continue to see attacks uh, on this legislation precisely because it is so groundbreaking. It is so earth shaking as as legislation in the field of employment law. And I think what the likely future is going to hold for employers of all size, shapes or kinds is absolute confusion. And I think it's precisely because the statute, what's going to happen right now, the statute already has a multitude of built-in exceptions. Each exception has its own test and there's layered tests. And so what I envision is one, increased exceptions being carved out, which is only going to enhance the confusion underlying this statute. So I think for employers, it's going to require, they are going to have to get themselves sophisticated counsel or HR professionals working with them to audit their workforce and especially audit their I-9, pro, uh, their 1099 process to identify whether there's misclassifications because the penalties are horrific. And I'm talking about the penalties that are facing employer for misclassification. And I'm not even talking about the lawsuits that are going to ensue for, for damages, for failure to pay benefits, uh, insurance, uh, payroll taxes. It, it's so I only see this, uh, I see it staying and I see the confusion increasing. So let's touch on those penalties. So carving out lawsuits, benefits, um, let's just brass tax. What are the penalty ranges for misclassification of an employee? Well, let me answer this way. The, the risks for employers. And, I, and I'll just quickly go down the list. So 
government audits result, resulting from misclassification, you've got the basic wage and hour issues of meal breaks, rest periods, you know, failure to provide those, and the penalties associated with them. Other risks for employers, some of these are even bordering on criminal, can, can literally bleed into, into criminal prosecution because we're talking, for example, insurance fraud, the failure to properly declare the number of employees for workman's compensation coverage. And I personally know of employers who over the years um, have had so many misclassifications that if there's a pattern of behavior the courts can turn this over and say, hey, you know what, we need to have this prosecuted as insurance fraud. Same thing with tax fraud because of the failure to class or the misclassification resulting in the failure to take out certain payroll taxes, right? So those are some heavy duty problems employers are going to have to face. Then you've got the whole complex matter of private lawsuits, right, for damages for matters like wrongful termination discrimination, overtime, right? Failure to pay benefits. All of the all of the issues that are clearly going to take place when someone's classified as a 1099 independent contractor and not an employee because the whole mindset of an employer when they're dealing with someone who they believe is an independent contractor is completely different from how they would view that individual and treat them as an employee. So uh, you can see just from the laundry list of issues I laid out, the potential damages are enormous, enormous. Yeah, and that's a really good point about workers' comp because I think that some employers take the approach of, well, you know, if they're 1089, I'm not worried about payroll taxes, maybe I let them come and go at different times than everyone else. But I don't think that they understand the um, significance of that, particularly when we're talking about things like workers' comp as well. Because what happens if that person gets injured at the job? Then that employer then becomes liable, and then you, you open up a lawsuit, and it's not going to be a good experience for anybody, right? That's where someone like you would come in. And so give me a rundown of your services and how you're here to help. Our company, Guardian HR, uh, we work with companies nationwide, uh, and brokers oftentimes use us to, they bring us to their clients as a solution for everyday employment law and HR issues. So we have a team of employment lawyers, and we have a, as well as a dedicated team of HR consultants who our clients rely on every day for questions precisely like classification of employees and independent contractors, how to treat people, what to watch out for. You know, we're here, we, we basically have their back. So our approach is, look, don't take a chance, you know, pick up the phone, call us, send us an email. That's really why we're here. We, we draft all their policies for them, create their handbooks, uh, we'll create you know, review their independent contractor agreements and really keep them on the straight and narrow, make sure they stay in compliance because our job is to precisely keep our clients out of court and out of government audits. So that's really where we see our function and we try to offer it at a very affordable rates for our clients. Thank you so much for the really in-depth conversation and the food for thought, Michael. This has been fantastic content. What's one final thought you would like to share 
to promote your services or something that you think that brokers should know? And what's something that makes your services stand out? Sure. So the first thing I would say to brokers is, look, all your clients, any client that has employees and is, is likely going to need to audit their workforce to see if they're misclassifying people as independent contractors. It's a very common tale. And I would say that the broker would look, you know, like a shining star if they had the ability to say to clients, look, we can turn you on to a service like Guardian HR that will have employment lawyers available on an unlimited basis, which is really what makes us unique, is the fact that a client, an employer, can contact us as often as they want and speak with employment lawyers. Uh, our lawyers will review their contracts, help them draft those independent contractor agreements, analyze them for violations of this law. And again, I don't think that's something that is very commonly available at the price point that we, we make it available. So I think for a broker to offer that solution to their client will build in a sticky quality with that client for that broker. Uh, that'll really enhance that rep, that, that, the relationship between them, the broker and the client. So I think that's where we're unique is that we, we offer employment law plus HR in a single package. And for, you know, mid-sized and small employers to be able to access that kind of professional expert advice on a daily basis without breaking their bank, you know, is gold. So that, that's my little plug. And that about wrapped up their conversation. Thanks everyone for listening. For more info on what they discussed today, check out our show notes. If you have any questions, reach out to your LISI sales team. And if you have a topic that you would like for us to tackle, shoot us an email at intel at LISIbroker.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy what you're hearing? Follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple, or find us on your favorite podcatcher. 